As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by our friends at Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Stu, we got a lot to talk about, even though the season is now now over by a week plus, but this coaching carousel took a big turn. It wasn't shocking, but some huge news out of Knoxville. Uh, You and I have both written quite a bit about it. You led your mailbag with it today. I did a big story about how the Vols coaching search will proceed. Uh, Tell me, when they had that press conference with the chancellor of the school, the president, and Phil Fulmer, who's still technically the AD for a little longer, um, what what struck you as interesting? You know how like there are certain press conferences that have taken place over the years that you just, you never forget um, certain moments from? I think Phil Fulmer being asked... How, and it was our own David Oven who asked him, like, how will Jeremy Pruitt's tenure ultimately be remembered? And he said, well, recruiting was certainly good. <laughs> I, it's going to be remembered for a long time. Because um, they literally handed out uh, 40 pages, you know, they handed out a report about just how illegal and dirty their recruiting was under Pruitt. And they fired... The assistants who were, you know, directly implicated, but also like their entire recruiting staff. Nine other staffers, including two on-field coaches, were fired in addition to Jeremy Pruitt. It was kind of mind-blowing to see the chancellor of the school talk about level one and level two NCA violations, which are very serious. Um, so obviously they they want to fire Jeremy Pruitt after three really kind of dismal years and this they hope would get them out of paying him 12 million dollars but at the cost of which is going to now whoever and we saw how screwed up their last coaching search was that got him jeremy pruitt and got phil fulmer back into power there in knoxville but now you have an nca dark cloud that's going to be hanging over it i mean 
the speculation of what could come is going to be really rough. I mean, this was not... Like, you and I have covered the sport for long enough where we remember when Tennessee was a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. That was a long time ago. You know, Butch Jones had two years where they finished in the top 25. Beyond that, they haven't been even close to good for a long time now. Like, there aren't there aren't players who they're going to be recruiting who remember Tennessee when they were a, a powerhouse. You know, they just remember Tennessee from... I'm not even sure how, how many of those kids are going to remember Ful, Fulmer as a coach. They probably... You know, don't th- associate Lane Kiffin with it. They might remember the the god awful Derek Dooley years, but um, so I did a, a story on how I thought the search process was going to play out. I don't see how they could hire Hugh Freeze, no matter how much Hugh Freeze wanted that job. They made no matter, that pretty clear. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you how they could do it, even if Tennessee. By the way, which on that press conference they talked about integrity and and how important it was for that while they saluted Phil Fulmer it was just kind of seemed like a seemed like a very farcical tone as you as you referenced the the Fulmer comment to so, Ubbin. let me look, just, before we get into the coaching search do you think they got so we're all we've all operated we we've all been hearing or operating under the assumption for some time now that once they started this and by the way wasn't the like the NCA came into town you know looking for 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 damaging info, they they volunteered it. Um, you know, the it's exactly what you said earlier, right? They they really want to fire him, and they want to fire him for cause. So they open this investigation to to get the goods. Do you? So based on what you were saying before, do you think they like they got in too deep? Like they didn't realize when they started this just how much they were going to uncover, and now they're gonna they're gonna hire a new coach who's got a rebuilding job to do regardless, and now that new coach may be facing major sanctions based on what they've uncovered. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure anybody can say with certainty at this point of that. I mean, one of the things, you know, I've heard from multiple people is that some of the the violations that they've uncovered uh, really seem brazen, and I think things that may have turned up in text messages and things like that are things that are almost impossible to work around if you're looking at them and if you're, as you said, looking for them. So I don't, you know, it's... it's An interesting it, nugget from, from her press conference was that, that she said, the chancellor said it started with a tip, I believe she said an in-person tip from a credible source, a tip to her office. So not like... They didn't call the compliance office. They didn't call, uh, I don't know, the NCAA. They called the chancellor of the school, and it kind of went from there. Um, and yes, like they didn't give any details, but the details are certainly circulating around at how brazen this was, though. Let's clear up something. To best of your understanding, and I know the answer, were there or were there not McDonald's bags full of cash? Uh, I have not heard that from any sources that um i would trust on because it's taken on a life of its own already like they the florida basketball team clobbered the tennessee basketball team and the florida basketball team put up a tweet you know how everybody trolls now that said we're loving it like mcdonald's is now accepted as fact and i don't think it happened i think some bad stuff happened i don't think i mean you got to be pretty dumb 
like first of all i'm not naive before you go too far in this and this is fine if it's in the podcast but like when you start out a sentence with you got to be pretty dumb as if you're going to be very cynical be careful because who knows like what you know there may not have been mcdonald's bags full of cash but if there were text messages about this on university phones um yeah then you're right then you know just i don't know oh i i think it's gonna the stuff that's gonna come out is gonna be like uh, um, Ryan McGee from ESPN, who, you know, Tennessee guy. Like, knows Tennessee better than, I would say Ryan McGee knows Tennessee football better than anybody who is writing about it. Ryan McGee has some pretty, he was a former Tennessee student manager, uh, was very, was close to Johnny Majors, who's obviously a Tennessee legend and former coach there, uh, when he was uh, a student assistant there and so he has a pretty unique perspective he does on the whole... and he tweeted so you just established yeah. his credibility yes he tweeted a friend of his said we're so stuck in the 90s that even our cheating is based on blue chips the the famous movie uh the famous basketball movie about a coach who starts buying recruits um look i think Yes, you're right. Like here's a here's an amazing stat from one of our editors, Matt Brown, that he tweeted the day of the of the announcement. Um, since 2008, Tennessee is tied for 75th in the country in winning percentage, 488, so below 500 since 2008. From 1930 to 2007, all those decades leading up to it, they were fourth. They had the fourth best winning percentage in all of college football, 75th since then. I do think that with the right coach. With the right leadership, which they haven't had for a long time, Tennessee is a program where you can win a lot of games. Um, but they're going to have to get out of their own way. They're going to have to get everybody on the same page, and they're going to have to fire the right coach. And so you were going to bring up the coaching search. What stands out to me in reading your article about the candidates and, and just basically I started looking at who has been hired to this point. And I don't know that in this coaching carousel, that there's there has just haven't been many where you're like oh yeah that's a home run G- great that school woo they nailed that right like I don't know how to feel about Brian Harson at Auburn I don't know how to feel about Shane Beamer at South Carolina maybe those guys will be good but it's not like you don't feel the way about those hires that that you did um, you know after after certain ones in the past that have worked out well if Tennessee can hire Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina Tennessee guy Tennessee native played at East Tennessee State. I feel really good about that. Yeah. I mean, look, to me, he's probably the most sensible, realistic name that I think Tennessee could bring in. Assuming he, now again, I would think he wants it, but again, what are you getting yourself into? If you're the ten, if you're Jamie Chadwell, You've done a really good job. There is going to be a lot of jobs that are expected to come open in 2021 after this after this season. In all likelihood, you probably have a better chance to win than if you go take a Tennessee job where you know heavy NCAA sanctions seem to be in the near future because of a bunch of level one and level two violations. Now, I'm sure at some point people will say if Jamie Chadwell or whoever, Lance Leipold or Will Healy or Bill Clark from UAB ends up with the job, people would say, all right, well, they took the job. All the people who did the cheating, they're gone. Why punish the new coaches and the players? But that's what the NCAA does. 
because that's about the only way the NCA can punish a program and a university. Um, and so, I, again, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying because I, I think of all the people that you know I wrote about, I think those guys are the most viable. Um, it's just if you're them, especially if you're, you're Jamie Chadwell, Will Healy, or your guys in your early 40s or younger, you're, you may get a shot at a Power 5 job. Do you want it to be one where you could have limited recruiting scholarships, uh, probation, where you have all sorts of restrictions? You're pro- probably not going to play in a bowl game for a, a couple of years. If it's you know, And if it's really bad, it could be more than that. We don't know. And the thing is, they don't know. When Lane Kiffin left Tennessee the first time, left Tennessee, whatever it was, 10 years ago for USC, nobody had any clue USC was going to get hammered the way it was by the NCAA. You really can't predict just how severe it's going to be. But if your chancellor is openly talking about level one and level two violations, and when you fire 10 people on the staff, that speaks to a real problem. So that's why I think, um, you know, these guys, I'm not saying they wouldn't take it, but I think it's going to take a big, big leap of faith because it's going to be an uphill climb. And by the way, you know, now Kevin Steele's the acting interim coach who, you know, by the way, that was a guy that also... That's a whole other story. (laughs) It is, but like Phil Fulmer, that was another guy he almost hired. Like the three finalists were Jeremy Pruitt... uh, Kevin Steele and Mel Tucker and he ended up on Jeremy Pruitt obviously that was a disaster uh Kevin Steele now is the interim which again as you said this is a whole nother dynamic but the idea that that players won't bail out of here now because you know honestly at this point why wouldn't they if you're looking at you know no postseason and who knows where this thing is headed um you know that's like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to paint a very rosy picture for Tennessee football when it's been so bleak for the last decade, and now you got NCAA issues on top of it. I think if you're a coach who has leverage, who has... Like, Billy Napier has already turned down some SEC opportunities. So I don't know why this would be the one he would sign right. on for, right? right. Given, given everything you just said without NCA issues hanging over them Billy Napier said no I'm good I like where I'm at let me right. wait to see what else comes over right so I think it's going to have to be so the circumstances are unique with Jamie Chadwell and that he he might just feel a lot of allegiance to that state and and that program and and he would be willing to overlook those things I mean look the good news is if you take that job is expectations are going to be a little bit lower at first knowing are the they though? that you're inheriting are they? It's Tennessee. I think I think they, they, I think, they think they have to be. I mean, come on, for so all the I for think, all the reasons you just said, they're going to get hammered. Yeah, you know what though? I think whenever we say expectations are a little lower, we underestimate or maybe we overestimate the people who make fi- who who do the firing and hiring. We all thought that there would be hardly any movement and people wouldn't pay a lot of, you know, didn't have the money to pay to get guys fired. Well, Will Muschamp is learned otherwise. They paid a lot of money to get rid of him. Gus Malzahn, they paid a ton of money to get rid of him. And because Tennessee doesn't have a lot of money right now, you know, they jumped into an investigation 
and who knows what that's going to cost them in the long term, but to get rid of Jeremy Pruitt after three years. So I think, you know, it, you, you what you're saying practically makes some sense that maybe there will not be realistic expectations you got to give the guy. And what I think that will mean is whoever takes the job, instead of getting a five-year deal, will probably get like a seven-year deal. But yeah. if you if that coach goes in there, and again, they may not have inherit much because whatever Jeremy Pruitt left behind, I have no idea how many of these recruits that signed there um, you know, six weeks ago are going to be bound to it. They may, they may be bailing for other alternatives, and then all of a sudden you have a depleted roster. Also, by the way, who knows how many of these players, if 10 staffers got, got let go, are some of these other players potentially compromised that they may be in, in some their own hot water? Oh, yeah, they, she alluded to that, that players are going to be ineligible. Yeah, um, so then, you know, look, I'm just saying if you take this job – you could be looking at a really, really depleted roster, and at the end of the day, Tennessee fans with its hundred thousand seat stadium and all these expectations, I don't think they're going to look at it and go, "Oh yeah, we we went four and eight, four and eight, five and seven, we're hanging in there." Uh, I mean, they're going to probably end up paying on the back end of that. Yeah, you're probably you right because now that I think about it, when Jeremy Pruitt got the job off of, I think Tennessee went zero and eight in Butch Jones last year in the SEC. There was definitely, like, the first year, there was a total, you know, we understand, like, he's, it's going to be bad. But by year two, when they lost to Georgia State, like, they were ready to fire him then. So, <laughs> you may be right. I also don't know that these NCAA sanctions, I mean, we don't even know the allegations yet. We're totally guessing at how severe or not severe the sanctions would be. USC, well, we're guessing, but she spoke about it in detail on the record at a press conference. I know, but it's been a long time since the, like, the USC sanctions were severe, that was a long time ago. I haven't. We haven't seen the NCA uh, do anything close to that with a football program since then, other than Penn State, which was a very unique circumstance. And even how then, even then, though, Penn State won a Big Ten title within a few years of that. How many people? How many coaches at these places that you're talking about had ten staffers get fired in the wake of a cheating scandal? Um, USC, I don't, they, they had one, right? Todd McNair. They had one, yeah. And he fought, and he's still fighting uh, to, to say he didn't do anything wrong. Um, yeah, I, look, the details are going to come out. You and I both heard rumblings of it, um, of what, what they really were. They are pretty brazen. Um, they're going to come out and, and, but, but it'll be, you know, with the NCAA, it'll take years for them to, to resolve that. That'll be the other thing. Do you want that hovering over you? Like, you might not have scholarship reductions or bowl bans right from the beginning. Um, I don't know. Interesting times in the SEC, by the way. This thing has become so explosive that it's like you almost forget, oh, yeah, LSU banned itself from a bowl game last year because a, a player's uh, dad got you know an insane amount of money. Um, Dan, you know, Florida basketball's trolling Tennessee on Twitter. Their own football coach, Dan Mullen, got a show cause like two months ago. Uh it, it, it's uh there's a lot going on right it just now. means more Stu. it just, just means more looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we wanted to get into the mailbag. It's something that we unfortunately neglect sometimes during the season, certainly the night of the national championship game. Uh, But we want to make it a central part of our off-season podcast, so... As always, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We start out with a familiar name, Johnny Shea. It's interesting. This is not really a question, but it'll, it'll allow us to get into another big news story that happened since the last podcast. Hi, guys. Love the podcast as always. When Urban Meyer turned down my Longhorns, he said, it's not you, it's me. Well, the news of his engagement to the Jaguars, as his jilted ex, I say, it was me. It was me, uh, <laughs> which is funny. Okay, you, Bruce, you, you worked with the guy all season. Um, I'm not saying he, he spilled all his secrets, but why do you think Texas, he, he, he did not uh, ultimately take the Texas opportunity, but he did take the Jaguars opportunity? Stu, I really think it came down to this. I don't think he was very intrigued by being a college football coach at this stage of his life. I don't think the name, image, and likeness stuff that's in the pipeline um, – I think that is gives him more pause, probably more so than any football coach I talk to. Um, I think he, in the way he sees the power structure in college athletics, I think that is a big concern to him. And then there's a level of unknown, I think, of what, how the NIL stuff will play out. So there was that. Um, the NFL has intrigued him for a little while. I know he had gotten closer to the cons who uh, own the Jaguars over the past year. Um, I did a story about Urban taking the job, I think it was last weekend, and kind of outlined some of the stuff I knew in terms of timeline uh, on The Athletic about, you know, he'd met with Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, uh, multiple times on his yacht, uh, Khan's yacht, not Urban's. Um, And I also think when you look at it, Tons of cap space for the Jaguars. The first pick in the draft, a bunch of picks in the first 50, uh, 45 picks that they have this year. So I think there was a chance he saw it as this was a franchise that went one in 15 uh, to flip it in a relatively quick amount of time. Also, and this came up a little bit because I knew that uh, the Chargers had some interest in him. And obviously, we know Justin Herbert had a terrific. Uh, rookie year and there was some some elements there that I think would be promising I actually from everything I know about Urban Meyer I just think he would rather live in Jacksonville he and his wife than than take the situation with the Chargers and I just think a lot of things lined up for him to the point where he felt like you know what if I'm ever going to do this and find out how I would do as an NFL head coach it's a challenge this is the time I really you know, we've talked about this on the podcast a little, and you and I have talked about this a lot. Um, he was very engaged and very invested 
in our show, in our big noon kickoff show on Fox, and much more so than I ever imagined he would be bef- than before I started working with him. And that's, you know, on our weekly conference call on Mondays, our two-hour production meeting on Fridays, and then, you know, being around all day on Saturday. At the same time, he's a coach, and he's the ultra-competitive coach, and I think he missed that. Now, I always felt like it was, at one point, it was, I think it was like 70-30 that I thought he was going to stay. And then about a week and a half, maybe a week before he ended up actually taking the Jaguars job, it flipped to 70-30 the other way that I thought he would leave. Just from some of the stuff I had heard from people who were pretty close to Urban about the conversations he had had. And that basically it sounded like, to people he really confided in on the football side, it sounded like he had kind of talked himself into why he felt like he needed to do this. So, Johnny, for you and all the other Texas fans, do not take it personally. <laughs> I just think that this is all about him taking a shot at the NFL to see, and we have no idea. Um, I'd ask you, Stu, you've covered him, and you've written about him a lot. Take out the part about how Urban will, ma- will deal with losing way more than he ever has in his coaching career as a head coach. How do you think he'll do as as an NFL head coach? Yeah, I know that's a that's the question everybody wants people to answer. How do you how can you with any of these college coaches that go to the NFL, how can you possibly predict that? There's been no pattern to which ones have done well and which ones haven't. Um, I will say I agree with what you said about if you're gonna take an NFL job, this seems like a pretty ideal setup, uh, in that you're you know, you have all the pieces in place, it would seem to do that rebuild. But I don't know, like, will his, um, you know, we always heard about how great a motivator he was in college with, you know, motivating young athletes. How much does that translate to the NFL? How much, there's a lot more X's and O's in the NFL. Um, That's something that I think in his later years of his career, he put a lot of faith in the coordinators to do. So I, I don't know. I hate to be a cop-out. I do not know if he'll how he will do. I wanted to touch real quick, though, on something you brought up, the NIL concerns. Um, Pete Thamel, our, our buddy at Yahoo, has uh, on more than one occasion, I think, reported or tweeted quote, anonymous quotes from coaches who are saying that you're going to see a run of college coaches trying to go to the NFL now for that reason. They, they are concerned or scared of what it's going to be like to coach in college in the NIL era. And I would ask you, A, have you heard the same thing? B, what exactly is scary? I know it's different. Uh, I mean, look, I've made my views on this known. Like, obviously, it's going to have a big impact. I just don't think it's going to be as drastic, have these drastic negative consequences that a lot of people fear. But I'm not a football coach. What are they most concerned about with NIL? I don't think it's as doom and gloom as that, um, at least from the coaches I talked to. Now, take Urban out of that. Um, and, I mean, look, Matt Campbell could have gone. Pat Fitzgerald, those guys could have gone. Those guys were hot commodities. Dan Mullen, I don't think I don't think there was interest in him in the NFL to go. Um, but the guys who I think could have gone, they didn't go. So, you know, it's not to say... You know, I, I, you know, I know Pete talks to coaches too. It's not to say there aren't some of those who think that, but the ones who I think could have gone didn't. Um, it's not to say that those guys may not, you know, some of those same guys may not go three years from now, but like Ryan Day, 
there was interest in him. He didn't have interest. Lincoln Riley, interest in him, didn't have interest. So, you know, it's... um, I think, you know, the the concerns that I've heard, and there's a coach I talked to, um, I guess it's Tuesday night, it was last night, um, about something else, and we got to talking a little bit about this. And this is a coach who I don't think has much chance to be an NFL head coach anytime soon. But he had talked a little bit about just the uncertainty of what the, you know, as I referred to it before, is like the power structure, but it's just like, what exactly does this mean in terms of how will you balance a team structure and when there is an economic value on players, will there be a certain level of, I don't know if discord is the right way, but you know everybody in a team in college football is going to try to preach that they're all a level of, of on the same plane whether they're starters or not starters i think when when money is into it especially when it's money that is that is formal and uh, and above board i think that they their concern creates some une uh, you know i'm trying to think of what the right way to say it is i don't want to say uneven but like i think that could add some entitlement now look some of that stuff already exists though with Guys who came in as a five-star versus guys who came in as a two-star or a three-star or whatnot. But I think it's a more formal positioning of that. And there's a lot of other stuff about, I think I had done a story on The Athletic and it is early on, maybe pre-pandemic, early on last year, about some of the concerns that would happen with um, just third-party people being involved. And now there'll be more third-party people involved. And I think there was some coaches who were cynically looked at, uh, probably about two months ago, USC put out a video, and our buddy Matt Leinert was actually in it, where it was like a movie premiere. That and was bizarre. It was bizarre. You know, obviously it, it's happening also in a pandemic, which I think probably was another thing that they probably maybe regretted a little bit putting it out like that. But I think... You know, one of the takeaways from some coaches on that was this is showcasing or maybe emphasizing some of the things that coaches kind of cringe about, that they're like, it's emphasizing the wrong things where they, they and again, I don't want to say that this is like creates a, a, a paranoia or a huge fear, but it's like, does it emphasize the wrong things that they want to emphasize? And so I think that's why that is. Yeah, I get that about the. I definitely get the concern about like the locker room culture and and the star players. We're making more money. You know, it's just like a pro franchise, right? Like LeBron James is making a lot more in, in than the twelfth guy on the team or whatever. But um, the, so the closest parallel to what we all envision NIL being is the Olympics. And I would just ask these like what these college coaches should do is call up somebody associated with like the U.S. women's soccer team and ask them, you know, like Alex Morgan is way more marketable than most of the other women on that team. Like she gets all the endorsement deals, blah, blah, blah. She's also one of the best players on the team. So like, does that create, ask them, like, does that create locker room uh, dissension? Or if she's like a hard worker and which I assume she is and a good leader, does it all work itself out? Like, 
I don't know. I would think the thing they'd be more concerned about that will directly influence their ability to manage a roster is the transfer exception. I mean, I, if I were a college coach who, you know, we're only a few years removed from the era when they could literally block the kids from going to certain schools. Now, then they lost that ability. And now there's, you know, if the, when this exception goes through, like guys are going to trans- try to transfer like crazy because they can play right away somewhere else. We're already seeing that this cycle. Um, and that's going to make it harder to, to manage rosters. I could see that being something that drives somebody away more so than NIL. But I know it's the great unknown. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Next up, Stu, Brandon from Fort Wainwright, Arkansas. Stu and Bruce, in your podcast, immediately following the national championship game, you briefly mentioned the plight of being a defensive coordinator or coach in today's game. Do you foresee defenses catching up to offenses at any point, as they have in the past, by developing new schemes, or are we facing a self-reinforcing system where the best players and coaches will gravitate to the offensive side of the ball, leading to even more track meets, with even higher average scores? Good question, Brandon. Stu, what do you think? Well, I think that the cycle is such that the offense, it's not that the defenses can't catch up to whatever the latest craze is. Like, for instance, when Chip Kelly brought the offense he did to Oregon and caught everybody off guard, uh, it took a couple of years, but eventually coaches figured out, like, oh, we need to, to, to combat that, like, frantic style of play or pace of play you know, we need to rotate in more defensive linemen or we need to recruit a different kind of athlete for this position. So you catch up to that, but then somebody comes up with the next thing, right? 
And and I feel like that's what the cycle is going to be. Like coaches will take a hard look at what Alabama did this year, what LSU did last year, um, and and I'm not saying a catch up, but like you know start to make some adjustments. And then as soon as they do that, somebody some coach is going to come up with the next thing. I just think that that's the cycle where the offense is always one step ahead of the defense, and the defense has to catch up. And um, between that and between. I mean, just quarterbacks, just just the tremendous uh, skill level we see of quarterbacks now. Um, I do agree with Brandon that I think the best athletes, maybe in a previous era, they wanted to play cornerback. Now they want to play receiver. They want to be the next Devontae Smith. Um, I don't think we're going back to to 17-14 anytime soon. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I don't think that. But um, look, I think there's going to be a lot of lot of kids who are going to want to be Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith probably would have been a terrific cornerback too. And I just think that is the direction of the game. And I think that's, honestly, that's what the rules are dictating also. Lyman downfield, that sort of thing. Um, And I think it creates, I think, a more exciting brand of football. I don't know. I don't want to go down a TV ratings hole with this. But I think there's a piece of that. Next question, Stu, from Ian in, in Seattle, who, by the way, is a proud TCU grad, class of 2004. Uh, to me, as much to me as a fan, college football lives on Saturdays and holidays like New Year's Day. Therefore, it's hard to be enthusiastic about a college football game on a Monday night in January. If the playoff is expanded, what is the broadcast plan? More Monday Monday games in January. How could college football reclaim Saturday as college football's rightful home to make this event feel special to the fans of the sport, not just the teams in it? Good question, Ian. I've heard it's it's interesting. I've heard more complaints about Monday night after this past year's this past game than I ever had in the past. Um, and obviously, this game had a record low rating, and we, there's a million reasons why. But like. I think the reason it's always, not always, but for a long time now, been on Monday nights is Monday night football, right? People are, are in the habit. It's not like playing a big football game on a Monday night is a new thing. Now it's usually the NFL. Uh, but a lot of games have been played on, championship games have been played on Monday night and gotten great ratings. Uh, so I don't think there's any, like, first of all, they don't really have a choice. They can't, especially now that that wild card weekend is three games on both days. Like there's just no there's no way you could you could put that on a Saturday once the NFL playoffs get started. So this is just me spitballing. There's no I don't think we've reached the point of any big plans here. But if they expand the playoff, I would think it's going to happen earlier, not later. Um, and and the precedent was set this year, right? Like we always used to hear, oh, we can't possibly make these guys play games during finals week in December. Uh, we did this year, and uh, and the world and the world uh, continued to spin. Um, so that's when you could claim Saturday still, as I think, like the Saturday, you know, that the Heisman usually is, and the Saturday after that, you know, you can still claim those. But you got to get those in before NFL playoffs start, because at that point, you're just, you're squeezed out. And I have heard some people theorize, maybe, maybe you agree, that, that part of the um, effect of this year, why maybe it felt so pronounced on Monday, is that is the fact that there were six wild card games, not four, and that maybe people are a little bit footballed out by the time they got to Monday night. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, again, I don't think I am the target audience. I'm going to, you know, gleefully watch it whenever it's on. Um, I did feel, I 
did feel a little bolstered that there were more games on New Year's Day, but I think this year was this year, you know, when it happened. But I just feel like this year was such a an outlier for so many reasons, as you as you alluded to. So I don't know. I, I really don't know how that kind of you know what what you do on that. I think that I do think the game is in better shape than probably some people you know make it out to be it's not I'm not saying it's perfect in the way it's structured it is I think there's still a lot of work that can be tweaked but I don't you know I don't know I mean I'm not put off by a Monday night game I don't know if if it's on Saturday night NFL playoffs or not I don't think it changes anything for people I just think if they're in, you know fascinated by the, by the matchup they would jump into it yeah um, people have been overreacting to and I wrote about this in the mailbag like there's been a lot of doom and gloom coming off of that. And I just can't emphasize enough. This was such a weird season for so many reasons. And we saw the number. I mean, the, it wasn't like there was great ratings all year. And then it tanked on that Monday night. Like the ratings were low in the regular season. They were low throughout bowl season. It's not all that surprising. The championship game did poorly too. That doesn't mean that people are fleeing from college football. They just didn't feel invested in what kind of felt like a, uh, I mean, if you were in the pack, like if you were a Pac-12 fan, and your team played four games all year. You, you just it would. It's like college football season never happened. A lot of people didn't feel invested in this season and didn't feel the need to watch the championship game. And I'm not talking about like diehard college football fans will watch no matter where you put it. Right. The way a big event like that, the difference between why in a big event like that gets 20 million or 20, you know, the difference in that number is the casual fans. The people like I'm a casual NFL fan, right? Like I. I don't watch it that closely, but I watched a bunch of the playoff games this weekend. The equivalent of me for college is who determines is what determines those numbers at the end. And for many reasons, but I think most of them COVID related, uh, there just wasn't that interest that there normally is in the championship game. I think, you know, the first year of the playoff, Ohio State, Oregon, that was on a Monday night and it got like 33 million viewers. So by the way, much into that. by the way, also ratings have been really low for pretty much every sport on a watershed moment kind of thing. They were low for the Stanley Cup Finals. They were really low for pretty much. I don't want to say everything else, but it's been kind of across the board. It's right? been low for everything that was displaced from its usual time, like the Masters, like everything that was played at an, you know the NBA Finals. College football was played at its normal time at the end but i mean it started out the big 10 didn't play their first game till october 24th so we just it just never and and by the way i also think college football more than the other sports like watching a college football game with no fans in the stands or with very few fans in the stands and with no band playing the fight song after the touchdowns like doesn't feel like college football i think that had probably more of an effect on college football than you know, the NBA playing its games in a bubble. All right, finally, Justin Lyles in Oakwood, Ohio. I've actually been getting this question a lot. Now that the FBS season is complete, can you refresh our memories of what the spring FCS season is supposed to look like? You know, Stu, I had this question myself, and I checked in with some uh, FCS guys I know, and I was like, okay, you guys are actually playing the first game in like (laughs) February 20th, February 21st? And so this is what I got back from a buddy of mine who is a... um, FCS coach and he said we are we are playing then the 20 hour work we're right now in the midst of the 20 hours a week uh, in terms of meetings and walkthrough and conditioning he was like fall camp 
as inputs in quotes. Fall camp for them starts on January 22nd, which as we're taping, this is obviously only two days away. Um, now, one of the issues, I think Indiana State opted out um, a couple of weeks ago, and I think there was some concern that that could be a trend. Maybe there's some some concern of some other FCS leagues that may be 50-50 on playing. Um, I think also what's significant, like one of the best conferences in FCS is uh, the Missouri Valley, and you had a bunch of players, not just Trey Lance uh, from North Dakota State, but their best offensive linemen. I mean, they already turned pro. Obviously, their their best linebacker, Jabril Cox, went off to LSU. Lots of really good players ended up going and playing in the fall already. So I think it's going to be different, but it is still, it's still on track for us to have some FCS games. So I know, like you, uh, we will be excited to watch them when they do happen. Yeah, I mean, the good news for the FCS is I think it's going to get way more exposure than it usually does. It's the only college football on in this time of year. Um, outlets like the athletic will have more time and to write stories about them. So, um, it could work, end up, you know, you, you hate the circumstances that led to it, obviously, but it could end up working out well for them as always send your emails to the audible pot at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.